morning, you can turn to James chapter 4. That's where we're going to be in just a moment. Before we are, I just want to say this very quickly. Obviously, it's not every year that Veterans Day would fall on a Sunday, but today just happens to be Veterans Day. We just happen to be in church, so I think it's only right that we would say thank you to the veterans of our church and for your willingness to serve in years past. So if by chance you are a veteran, if you would, just real quickly stand up so that we can see you. All right. Very good. All right. Very much appreciate that and thankful for your service, thankful for everyone's service who have been willing to put on the uniform, whether voluntarily or not so voluntarily. I appreciate your willingness to do that on behalf of those who have not. So thank you very much. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house today. Lord, I'm thankful for uh, your goodness to us. I'm thankful, Lord, for this nation that we get to live in. I thank you, Lord, for those who have served and uh, helped make this nation what it is that we get to enjoy. God, I pray that you would help us this morning to give attention to your word. God, that you would use it to speak to our hearts. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, last week, you may remember, we began looking in chapter 4 of James, and we watched as he began writing about the subject of people and their personal lives and how their lives could be defined as wars and fightings. And in dealing with that thought and dealing with that idea, we talked about how uh, war is something that is miserable. It is something that is, uh, it's, it's something that involves chaos, confusion, frustration, so many things associated with war and fightings. And again, James was talking about that in light of a person's personal life. And he asked this question, from whence come those wars and those fightings among you? So the question was this. Where do they come from? What is the source of all this strife, of all this confusion, of all this chaos, of all this misery? What is the source of that conflict? And rather than letting them try to figure out the answer on their own, rather than letting them come to a conclusion, he gave them the answer and he said, "Come they not hence even of your own uh, come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members." He said, "Here is where so much of the strife and so much of the conflict comes from." He said, that is your lust, your desire for pleasure. He said, you want your life to be a life of satisfaction. You want it to be a life of gratification. You want it to be a life of pleasure. You want it to be a life of ease. And he went on to say in verse number two, he said, here is the problem. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill or you're willing to do whatever it takes to have more. He said, ye desire to have and cannot obtain. He said, the reality is this. He said, people are miserable because they never have enough. No matter what you give them, no matter what they provide for themselves, no matter what they're able to obtain, no matter what they're able to acquire, they continue to be miserable because nothing is never enough or nothing is ever enough. And so we looked at that and, and I tried to show us last week that if we're not careful, we can fall into that same trap, always, always, always wanting more and never being content with what we've already been given. And I tried to show us last week, I know that you know this, but I tried to remind us of this last week, that until we're content with what we've got, nothing else will satisfy us. It is simply that true uh, or that simple that until we are content with what God has already made available to us, it doesn't matter what else we acquire, it will not be enough. 
We must learn contentment if we're going to eliminate the strife and the wars and the fightings in our personal lives. So that's what we talked about last week. This morning we're moving on and we're going to build upon that. We're going to finish looking at chapter or verse number two and into verse number three. Before we get to the message, I want us to think about this. And again, keep in mind that this building upon, so this may seem somewhat repetitive, but I want us to think about this truth that there are times in life that accidents happen. Would you agree with that? That that there are times in life that accidents happen, and sometimes the accidents are significant. Sometimes it's not a light matter what has happened And as a result of an accident taking place, depending on where it may have taken place, here is what people want to do. They want to find the source of the accident. What is it that produced this or what is it that caused that? And the main reason that they want to know how this happened, why this happened, what caused it to happen, is in part so that it can be avoided in future events. If you've ever been involved in a situation where an accident has taken place, there's some kind of an investigation that takes place so that you can know what happened, what went wrong, and hopefully we can correct that and it not happen again in the future. Sometimes the mistakes are very easily identified and they're able to be corrected. Sometimes it's a little bit slower process. Sometimes it can be a little bit more difficult to identify. But again, there is a desire for an answer to be found so that the same mistake is not repeated somewhere down the line. So if you keep that in mind, if you keep that in in view of the context, here's what we've got. We've got James talking about people whose lives are miserable, people whose lives are identified as wars, as fightings, with the confusion, with the chaos, with the misery, with the frustration, so many things that identify people's lives in a negative light, in a negative context. And I don't know if this has happened to you, but it has happened to me where I have lost my sense of contentment with what I've already been given, what I've already been blessed with. Has this ever happened to you where you would have to be honest and admit, you know, there have been those times and there have been those occasions where I have failed to be content with what God has already given me. Well, if that's ever happened to you like it's happened to me, like it's happened to so many others before us, then then here's what we know is that James is telling us the absolute truth that that leads to frustration and it leads to misery and it leads to chaos and it's not an enjoyable place to be in. I have never really long-term enjoyed a lack of contentment. It's never been something that as a result of my lack of contentment that that days, weeks, or months down the road, I've looked back and I've thought, man, that's been a great time in my life. No, when the lack of contentment has been present in my life, it always does exactly what James alluded to, is it has always made my life miserable. It has always made my life very frustrated. And here's what is true for me, as I think would be true of you if you would say, hey, that's happened to me. What would be true of me, and I think of so many others, would be this, is that we have never entered into that phase of our lives on purpose. Meaning, it was an accident. Let's see if this makes sense. 
Have you ever woke up someday in your life and you said to yourself, this is the day I am no longer content? Today I choose no contentment. Today is the day that I decide to want more. Today is the day that I desire to covet. Today is the day that I desire to to be jealous. Today is the day that I'm no longer satisfied with what God has provided. Has it ever happened to you that you said, Today is the day that contentment ceases in my life? It was never a decision made intentionally, correct? No. It was something that, for lack of better words, we would say we accidentally slipped into that. We didn't mean to become discontent. We didn't mean to become unsatisfied with what God's already provided in our lives. It's just what's happened, though, and and over the course of the days or the weeks or the months or the years, whatever it may be, we have found ourselves in that way of thinking, in that way of living, And it has, as I've already said, produced that misery and frustration in our lives. So if you've ever found yourself in a position like that, if if I have found myself, and I have, in a position like that, then what do I need to do to an extent? Well, to an extent, I need to identify how did that happen. How did this happen, and I need to identify it for this reason, so that hopefully I don't fall into the same trap somewhere down the line. I need to know what brought this about in my personal life so that I'm not repeating the same mistake in the future, which is only going to lead to more frustration and more disappointment and more misery in my life. And so this morning what we're going to do is look at a couple of the whys as to why we are disappointed and frustrated and miserable in our lives. And you may say, well, Brother Kyle, this never happens to me. This, this isn't something that I ever struggle with. Contentment is nailed down in my life. Well, then be patient as the rest of us work through this. Because the rest of us need this. Because most of us struggle with true contentment, at least all through our lives. So notice in verse number 2 what he says. We're going to start at the beginning, but we'll get to the end very quickly. He says, Ye lust and have not, ye kill. Again, you'll do whatever it takes and desire to have, and ye cannot obtain. He says, Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Now remember, part of this is built upon, this this message and these thoughts, part of this is built upon the idea that as we go through life, we're going to have desires, we're going to have wants, there are going to be these things that we want to be true of our lives. And what he said in the last part of verse number 2 is this, he said, Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, you do not possess what it is you desire, For what reason? Because ye ask not. Now who is James writing to? He is writing to fellow believers who happen to be Jews, correct? 
He's not just writing to the masses who may or may not be saved. No, the entire context of the letter lets us know he is writing to believers. And so we have to assume that what he is saying then is this, is that the reason you don't have some of what you want and some of what you desire, at least in part, comes from this problem. You don't ever ask God for what it is you desire in this life. Think about the simplicity of that statement. That part of the reason you lack contentment and part of the reason that you are dealing with these frustrations and part of the reason that you have this misery is because you don't ever ask for what it is you want in this life. Let's think about that and let's consider this question. Doesn't that seem like a ridiculous statement? You have not because ye ask not? I mean, doesn't that seem ridiculous to, to say of a child of God that part of the reason you don't have what it is you would like to have, part of the reason that you can't obtain what it is you, you would like to acquire is because you don't ever ask for it? It seems ridiculous, but isn't it amazing how true that is? We don't have it because we haven't been disciplined enough to ask him for it. You say, Brother Kyle, that's absurd. Okay? I'm going to walk through a couple of of preacher struggles, okay? Things that you can understand, I'm sure, but maybe don't relate to 100%, though I think you should, to an extent, relate to this. I'm just going to share some things with you that, that, that I struggle with, and then we'll move on to some things that you might be able to struggle with, and, or might struggle with and might be able to identify with. But, but, but here's a preacher struggle, okay, that, that I just want to share with you and let you know that, that I can see where James is coming from when he makes this statement. Here is something that every pastor would like to see take place in the church that he pastors. He would like to see the church reach people in many different ways. The, the pastor would like to see people saved in church services. A, a pastor would like to see that. Amen. A pastor would love to see a sinner come to church, hear the preaching of the Word of God, come under conviction, walk forward, say to the pastor, taking them by the hand, Pastor, I need to be saved. That is something that a pastor would love to see. Oftentimes, pastors get restless when they don't see that happen. They say to themselves, it's been a long time since we've seen somebody saved. They say to themselves, it's been a long time since we've seen the baptismal water stirred. They say to themselves, it's been a long time since we've seen somebody broken before God, repenting of their sin and crying out for salvation. Right, and, and so it works on the pastor, it grates on the pastor, it disturbs the pastor. And then you could ask the pastor, how often do you pray for people to get saved? And the pastor, if they were honest, would have to say, Please don't ask. 
Because sometimes a pastor can go days, weeks, or months and not pray for what it is they would love to see take place. And you may sit here and you may say, that's awful of you, Brother Kyle. That's terrible of you, Brother Kyle. And it is. But you'd have to ask yourself this question. Wouldn't you like to see the same thing happen? Wouldn't you like to see the same thing take place? Wouldn't you desire to see somebody saved in a church service on a regular basis? Well, yes, Brother Kyle, I'd love to see that. How often are we as a church body crying out for that and saying, God, that's what we want. God, give that to us. Here's what I'd be willing to bet. Many of us, I'm not saying all of us, but I'm saying many of us, if I were willing to to, to take this risk, I would be willing to bet that many of us have not prayed for the very things we say we'd like to see happen here at our church. Here's what a pastor would love to see and sometimes gets very frustrated and and upset about and loses the peace that, that they would otherwise have. A pastor would love to see some spiritual victories take place in the lives of those who are saved. You know, you'd love to see this family finally get it together. You'd love to see this individual finally turn the corner and just make the decision to serve the Lord. You want to see this person just get right. See this family stop playing the games. And, and that's what the preacher wants, and that's what the preacher desires, and that's what the preacher longs for. But the problem is this, the preacher doesn't pray for it like he ought to sometimes. Because he's praying for other things. Not that they're bad what they're praying or what he's praying about. But, but, but the struggle is this. is Sometimes the preacher doesn't pray about the very things that he says he'd like to see happen in the church. I don't know if you can identify with that by way of your own personal desires and your own personal wants. But is it fair to say that sometimes it's easier to gripe than it is to pray about it? Is it sometimes easier to complain than it is to bring it before the Lord? Is it sometimes easier to worry than it is to pray? Well, I think the answer to all those questions is this. Yes, it is so much easier to do the very things that we ought not be doing rather than doing what we should be doing is bathing that, whatever it may be, in prayer. We accidentally find ourselves lacking contentment. We accidentally find ourselves frustrated, miserable. It's not that we did that to ourselves on purpose, yet here we are. So why are we here? It very well could be because we haven't been praying for it like we ought. It's not that we're not talking about it. It's not that we're not thinking about it. It's not that we're not dwelling upon it. It's just that we're not praying about it in the manner in which we know we should. People say things like this. I'm just asking, you know, or I just want this to, to be true in, in my family. Well, are you praying about it? You know, I, I just, I, I want this to be true in my job. Well, what is it you want to be true in your job? Well, I, I want this, or I want this, or I want this, or I want this. Okay, are, are you really praying about it? 
I don't think that James experienced this and addressed it some 2,000 years ago. And then it became a non-issue for some 2,000 years and then just snuck up in my life alone and became an issue that myself and, and nobody else is dealing with or struggling with. I think if some of you were honest this morning, you would have to say the number of times that I fail to pray about what it is that's got me all upset, that's got me all disturbed, that's got me all worked up, the number of times I fail to pray about it like I should is something that happens far, far, far too often. I was thinking about I was thinking about this song that was written in 1855. 1855. It's a few years ago. Keeping in mind the verse says, From whence come wars and fightings. He said in verse number 2, Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. The old song that said this, Oh, what peace which would be the exact opposite of wars and fightings. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I'm just saying to us this morning, one of the reasons that may lead to you and I having frustrations, the misery, the discontentment, all these other things, one of the things that may lead to it that we ought to at least consider is this, is that we don't pray about it like we should. But James was a, a wise man, was he not? Not only was he a wise man, he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which is extremely helpful in the matter. So he, he understood human nature, which again, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, helped him to add to what he said in verse number 2. He said, not only do you fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Notice what he said in verse number 3 for all the people out there who pray. You know, because there are people out there who pray, and you'll never convince them that they don't pray like they ought. So he said, here's part of the problem, or possibly part of the problem. Ye ask and receive not... Because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lust. See, he's writing to people who aren't getting what they want. He's writing to people who aren't satisfied, who aren't content, whose lives are characterized by misery and frustration and, and all these different emotions that are of a negative sort. And he said, listen, it could be that part of the problem is you don't pray for it, but you've got these people that he would be writing to who would read this and they'd say, Oh, Brother James, that's not true. I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray. All right, he said, well, then this could be the problem, that when you ask and don't receive, it's because you ask amiss. You ask for the wrong reasons. What you're wanting is motivated by wrong motives. 
And here's what you're asking for. You're praying for these things to be so, but the only reason you want these things to be so is so that it satisfies you and the motives are not what they're supposed to be. And until the motives are what they're supposed to be, you're not going to get what you want out of life. Go back to preacher problems that preachers have. What do preachers want to see? Preachers want to see people get saved. They want to see people walk the aisle, repent, cry out to God for salvation. That's what they want to see. So the preacher may say, I pray that on a regular basis. I pray for that all the time. Good. Is it happening? No. Check your motives. What? How could the motives possibly be wrong when you're praying and asking the Lord to save people? Well, there are lots of ways in which the motives can be wrong. How could it be wrong then, Brother Kyle? How could it possibly be wrong to pray for people to be saved like that? Well, sometimes that's for the preacher's ego. You don't have to say anything. I don't expect a response. I'm just saying, sometimes the preacher prays for spiritual things to happen, but it's not because they want to see people saved out of darkness and into light uh, for the sake of their eternal salvation. Sometimes the concern for the pastor is, I want the church to look good. When the church looks good, the, the, the pastor feels good. When the church is doing good, then the pastor looks successful. And, and when the church is seeing things happen, then, then, then the pastor is the one who gets some of the praise. I'm just saying the pastor has to be careful in how they pray for even good things because the motives behind the prayer could be completely wrong. And so therefore, the pastor won't ever see what the pastor says he would like to see and what the pastor says he prays about. The pastor says he wants to see lives changed. He wants to see those who are saved truly turn the corner and serve the Lord and make decisions that would honor, honor the Lord and pray for families. The, the pastor says he's praying for that and that's what he wants. Again, why does the pastor want that? It could be for all the wrong reasons. See, you may sit here today and you may say, well, Brother Kyle, what I want, what I desire, what I long for, it's not what you're talking about. And the things that frustrate me and the things that, that kind of keep me restless during my days, it's, it's not what you're talking about. I get it. So, so the question then is this, are you praying about it? And your response would most likely be, oh yeah, Brother Kyle, I pray about it all the time. Okay, so it's still not happening, right? No, it's still not happening. Okay, so then what we've got to do then is give some attention as to what are the motives then behind this prayer. Whatever it is you're desiring, whatever it is you are longing for, what are the motives behind your prayer? Because we can pray and you can pray for otherwise good things, but if the motivation is selfish in nature, you really can't expect the Lord to bless and to honor and to give what it is you say you desire. Does this make sense? 
He said, you have not because you ask not, or you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. There's no basis for it, really. The only thing you want is you want this, whatever it is, that you may consume it or have it for your own desires. Why do you want that money? I mean, really, why is it that you want the extra income that, that you're praying about? Why is it that you want that? So that you can get more stuff? God's really not too worried about providing more stuff. Why is it that you're praying about that job situation? Is it because you know that that's what the Lord would have for you? Or because, well, that's going to better suit you and your desires? Why do you want the relationship? Why do you want this opportunity? Why do you want to be able to do this? All these things that we're praying about and all these things that we're hopeful for, all these things that we're bringing before God, if it's not happening, we have got to be willing to check our motives. I know that this is difficult for us to grasp, but sometimes our motives are not as pure as we'd like to think they are. So you see people, we would be included in this group sometimes, we see people and they're miserable, they're frustrated, they're, they're discontent, their life is full of confusion and chaos. They didn't mean for it to get there, but that's where they're at. It was an accident and, and, and they're never satisfied. So why is it that they and sometimes we don't get what we want, we don't ask for it, or our motives are wrong? And God's not worried about blessing when the motivation isn't what it's supposed to be. Now, there's a third group here, or in Scripture, that's not mentioned here, but I want to touch on it just real quick because I think James and I and a lot of pastors and a lot of people who have been in church for a while, we could have this conversation. Here's what I think some people would say. Brother Kyle, I pray. I pray, and I pray, and I pray, and I pray, and I pray. Okay, that, that's, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying that you don't. So what about your motives? No, Brother Kyle, my motives are pure. My motives are as pure as they could possibly be. I have brought this before the Lord. I've asked Him to show me if my motives are not pure, if my motives are not right. And, and, and Brother Kyle, my motives are pure. And I'm still not receiving what it is I want. Well, if that's the case, then you know what the only conclusion can be past that? It's obviously not the Lord's will then. Think about it. If you're praying and your motives are pure, and you're still not receiving right now what it is that you're desperately wanting and miserable for? Well, I guess the only conclusion then could be this. It's not God's will. And if it's not God's will, then what do you and I need to get? We need to get content where we're at. It all kind of gets back to this point. Just be content. Be satisfied. 
with where you're at right now, don't always be hungering and desiring and wanting for more. Be satisfied. And so this morning, I don't know if this is a message designed primarily for the pastor. I don't know if this is something that that I alone need or if there are a couple of in here that a couple of you in here that need this but but I want to ask you is there something you want in life if you had to be honest today would you have to say man there are just some things that I want in life and it eats at me and I wrestle with it and I struggle with it from time to time is there anything in life that you want well sure there is brother Kyle are you praying about it I mean genuinely praying about it Or do you worry about it and fret about it and talk about it more than you pray about it? I think some of us, we we just need to recommit to the avenue of prayer in certain areas of our lives. Just need to start praying about it more because I haven't been praying about it like I should. And if you had sat here this morning to say, Brother Kyle, I've been praying. Truly, I have. I've been praying then I would say this, check your motives. If the prayers have been unending, if the prayers have been unceasing, if the, if the prayers have been consistent before the Lord and nothing is happening, then I would beg you, check your motives. Because if it all really revolves back to you, God's not interested in giving you what you want just to try to make you happy or to make me happy because in the end, once we get that, we'll just want more and more and more and more. We've got to be content, so we've got to be willing to check the motives because if the motives are not right, we can't expect them to give it. And if you say, Brother Kyle, I pray and the motives are pure, then settle down. And just know that right now it's not God's will for it, whatever it is, to happen. Because if it was God's will, the doors would be opening. Things would be happening, things would be changing, and things would be progressing. Be content. Be satisfied. Make sure you're praying about it like you should. Make sure your motives are what they're supposed to be. And at that point, leave it with the Lord. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning. Lord, I don't think it's an accident at all that James would say that we have not because we ask not. Lord, I think it's a tough thing for us to admit sometimes that that there are those days, there are those occasions, maybe even those seasons in life where we just don't pray like we ought for the things that, that we want. Lord, if there are some in here this morning who would have to admit they haven't prayed for it like they should, I pray that they would recommit to praying for whatever that desire is. And Lord, if we're praying or if we recommit to praying, pray that you'd help our motives to be right because that's as important as anything else or these are things that we slip into we don't do it on purpose but yet we find ourselves doing it over and over and over so i pray that you'd help us to to fix some of this so that we don't make the same mistake in the future
And God, if there are some who are still struggling, I pray for the contentment that is needed. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.